We have four kids. Uh, if you don't know our family, we are, all of our kids are pretty well grown. Our, our last one's going to graduate from high school uh, in a couple months. And so our four kids, when they were little, um, they were just regular, you know, fun-loving, uh, exploring kids. But there was a dynamic that always happened, and I think it happens with all parents and all children. There was a dynamic that they would do something that I call testing limits. Anybody else's kids do this? We would say to them, no, you're not allowed to. This is not okay. You can't do that or stop doing that or don't start doing that or whatever. And then there was this look that came back at us. Parents, you know the look I'm talking about? It's like, oh, really? I wonder if you're serious. I wonder... I wonder what will happen. And a lot of times for us, it was, you know, we're going to draw a line and we're going to tell you what will happen. If you keep doing this, this is what's going to happen. Some of the parenting idea that we had was that we couldn't threaten to do something and then not follow through. By the way, if you do that, that's a terrible idea. Kids are smart. They pick up on this really quick. If you're like, you better stop or else you're going to, and you fill in the blank of something, and then they don't stop and you don't do whatever you said. They figure it out right away. And they're like, they're not serious. I'm just going to do whatever. So we tried to hold to that. And I can remember, you know, thinking about looking at my children and thinking, I hope that you listen to what I say because I really don't want to have to follow through <laughs> with what's coming. You know, I can remember uh, early Christmases in our house, little Kylie, she's all grown up now, but little Kylie going up to our Christmas tree and us saying, You can't play with the decorations. Those are not balls that you can throw around. And I remember her looking at us like, oh, really? (laughs) I remember Kara as a little one. I remember sitting at the table with her, sitting across the table saying, yes, indeed, you have to eat what's on your plate. And her looking at me like, oh, we'll see about that. (laughs) So I remember this testing of the limits thing. And it was very common that after punishment had been dealt out, after the penalty had been paid, whether it was a smack on their hand or or a smack on their bottom or losing a privilege or going to your room or whatever it was, that we were greeted with this surprised, pained, betrayed look like mother and father. (laughs) What happened to our relationship? I trusted you. I can't believe this. It's almost like, I know you said it, but I didn't really think you meant it. And I wanted to say, but I warned you, and I wish you had believed me. And so the story that we look at in Luke 24 has the same kind of idea. It, you know, what does this have to do with Easter? Well, Easter morning, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, is the greatest story ever told, bar none. No story compares to it, because in this story is the offer of salvation eternally, to anyone and everyone. Jesus' death on the cross was a price beyond measure to pay for my sin. Jesus' resurrection was power beyond measure to bring new life, to bring hope to all who will receive him. But in the event itself, and this is where we read this morning, in this very event, we find some people surprised at what's going on. And God's messengers say to them what I often wanted to say to my kid. Don't you remember? This is what I told you. Don't you remember? He told you this. So let's go back again to that Easter morning just for a couple minutes. 
If you can, in your head, go back to that moment where the Jews have just finished celebrating Passover. Jesus has just been brutally executed on a cross. And his heart-sick friends are coming to the grave at their first opportunity to bury him properly. And that's where Luke 24 begins. So read with me in Luke 24, verses 1 to 3. Here's what it says. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the woman took the spices that they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. So what is this? This is a story of people who went to the grave expecting to find the body of the one that they loved. They expected to kind of be able to finish the process they had started to take care of their loved one before laying them to rest, kind of saying goodbye forever. That's what they expected that morning because that's what happens. If someone dies, that's the way it goes. You say goodbye, and, and I know it's hard for us. It's really, really hard for us. We don't ever really get over that. We kind of learn to deal with it, but we don't ever really get over it because they just keep being gone. You know what I mean? And so we kind of have to deal with that. And so here we have these ladies coming to the tomb that morning, full of grief, wrecked, horrified, and yet their love drives them to come to Jesus' tomb. And as they come, as I read scripture, I always try to ask myself, why did this writer write this in here? What are they trying to get us to see and to believe and to know and to understand? When they get to the tomb, it says, the stone was rolled away. In other accounts, we find them kind of looking at themselves saying, what are we going to do about the stone? They didn't know what they could do to get into the tomb. They just knew that they had, there was a stone there. They had to get in the tomb because they had to take care of Jesus. And they said, I don't know what's going to happen. We're going to figure it out. You know, sometimes death, loss is like that. Sometimes life is just like that, isn't it? I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to keep going. I just got to keep going forward. Somehow it's going to happen. I I don't know what's going to happen, right? But they, they expected to come and find this obstacle, this barrier, this, this you can't get in in front of them. And it was too big for them as ladies to roll out of the way. So they were like, I don't know what we're going to do. Aren't you thankful that the, the same God who rolled the stone out of the way for the ladies is the same God who's still at work moving the stones out of the way in your life? Now, you've tried to move the stones out of your way. And you've crashed into the stone again and again. And you're wondering why you're weary and you're worn out. Maybe it's because God is the only one who can take the stones out of the way when it's time for the stone to be gone. So they get to the tomb and they find this this open tomb and they're surprised. It's not what they expected. It's not what they thought was going to happen. So they don't understand it. And so what do they do? They do what any of you would have done. They went into the tomb. And now they're even more surprised because when they go into the tomb, there's no body there. The tomb is empty. This is absolutely essential. I hope that you get this this day. This is critical. I actually believe with all of my heart, I'm actually betting the very soul of my being on this being true, that Jesus is alive, that he died and rose again. I know there are people who say, well, it's, you know, it's a folklore thing. It's a fairy tale. It's something that his followers made up years and years later. But without believing this, you actually cannot be a Christian. It is absolutely critical to know and believe that Jesus rose again. The Bible is very clear on it. 
Every gospel very clearly states that he died and rose again. You can't get around that truth. Some people say, well, those, those were made-up stories years and years later. Let me just say this to you. If you're one of those skeptics who feel smart about that, I get it. I understand. There's a lot of like misinformation that flies around and you live in a world where you've got to be on your guard all the time. You know, you turn on a commercial and they're like, this is going to make your life better than you ever imagined. Then you buy it. It's a piece of junk. And you're like, oh, fooled again. Right? So I get it. We all live with that. Like we are on guard. And so you hear about the Bible coming together later and whatever, and, and you start to hear these smart people talk, and you think, well, maybe it just is a story. Maybe it's not true. Let me just tell you some, some facts. First of all, out of all ancient literature, the Bible is far and above the most well-attested book of all ancient literature, and it isn't even close. It has more support for what you read and hold in your hands today than any other document ever written. The next closest one from ancient literature is Homer's Odyssey. I don't see a lot of people debating over whether Homer actually wrote about Homer's Odyssey. And that's like, I believe it is at least 10 times less attested than the Bible. You hold a story, a book, a a, a collection of writings in your hand that is really, really for sure. As a matter of fact, there's a movie out called The Case for Christ where someone who said, I don't know, this can't possibly be true. I'm going to investigate it. And you know what you find out if you really investigate it scientifically? This book is true. Now, these people may have been wrong, whatever. It doesn't, you can't scientifically prove that they were right. But you can prove that this was written when they said it was written by the people that says wrote it, that this is what they believed. They believed that Jesus died and rose again. Many of these stories were written by eyewitnesses. Two of our gospels, Matthew and John, were written by people who walked with him for year after year. The other Gospels were written by what we call secondary witnesses, Mark and Luke, who heard it from someone who was there. And they wrote down this story. Every part of the New Testament tells us Jesus literally died, and a few days later, his tomb was empty. And I would, I would even argue further than that. Every single disciple in the first century believed Jesus had rose from the dead. That's why they were willing to die by the dozens, by the hundreds Because they believed that Jesus' death and resurrection meant eternal life for them. Now, they could all be wrong, but listen, let's not be foolish enough to think that this isn't the story that was circulating in the first century. Jesus died, and he rose again. Jesus is alive. And so they come to the tomb, and they find his tomb empty. If you choose not to believe that today, if you uh, embrace doubt, if you embrace skepticism, I'm going to tell you, that is what's stopping you from finding the hope that's in Jesus Christ. Because by faith, if you will receive this truth, if you will believe that Jesus rose from the dead, even though it's impossible, even though it doesn't happen, that God intervened and that Jesus as the very Son of God rose impossibly from the dead, then you can be saved. You can enter into the story of redemption. And by the way, you can find power for all the rest of the impossible things in your life. Because our God is the God of the impossible. He's not the God of the nice and the God of the little bit of help, and he's not the God of the, I'll show up every now and then and check in on you. He's the God of the absolutely no chance, can't happen, there's no way, I'll do it anyway. That's the God we serve. And it starts for us at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so these ladies show up the tomb, but then they find out what's going on. So read with me verses four down to verse eight. Here's what it says. 
While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. So they show up at the tomb. The tomb is empty. They, they are clearly here after the event itself, after Jesus has raised from the dead. Elsewhere, we, we see the description of the ground shaking and Jesus raising again to life and, and shining like the brightness of the sun. And they're having a hard time processing this, standing in front of the tomb, because it, this stuff doesn't happen. This is not the way it works. You don't bury somebody and then they come back. That's just not the way it happens. So I don't fault people who have struggles with belief because it's a miracle beyond explanation. Even people who were there that day took a while to catch on. They're literally looking at it and they're like, I don't, what? What is, took them a little bit. So if it's taking you a little while, give yourself a little bit. Let yourself start to believe. And so it says, while they're wondering around this, what does God do? He sends some angels to help them understand what's going on. Kind of like today. Christians, guess what? You're the messengers of God. The word angel actually means messenger. I mean, we know that they're heavenly beings and all that. But you're now the angels. You're now the messengers to go take this truth to other people, to help them understand what this is all about, what this all means. That it isn't just a day for celebration, a day to buy some new outfits, a day to dress up, a day to celebrate spring, a day to get together for a dinner with your family. It's about so much more than that. And if that's all that you settle for, you've missed so much. You've missed everything. And so we're the messengers. Just like God sent angels to help them understand it, God is sending you messengers, angels, so that you can understand the message of today. And so they they bow with their faces to the ground and the messengers say to them a couple things. First of all, they say, he's alive. He's not here. He's not with the dead because he's not dead. He's alive. The fact that Jesus is alive literally changes everything anybody has ever understood about this life and this world. Because now there is hope. Now, when Jesus died in my place, when Jesus rose again for life, it brings redemption for me. It means that whatever is in front of you in life, whatever you'll face this week, whatever wounds have happened to you, no matter how horrific, no matter how unjust, no matter how much bitterness has welled up inside of you, confusion, the resurrection says that our God is always able, always able to overcome. And he proves it by defeating death and the grave. Now that takes some faith. First of all, Jesus is not, we're not going to his grave right now and there's debate over which grave it is or whatever. He's not standing in front of us right now. So it takes some faith because I'm not seeing him. It also takes some faith because your experience and my experience says this is not how it happens. We don't see someone die and then come back to life. So it's against the grain. But what I believe is this. If he can conquer the grave, nothing is too hard. Nothing is too big for my God. Nothing is so dark that it could never really be light. 
Never are you so lost that you can't be found. Never are you so dead, even inside, that you can't come to life again. Jesus' resurrection brings the offer of God's unlimited love and power to you. He will be your healing. He will be your help. He will be your hope. But you have to put your faith in Him. Every single person can choose to go on their own. You can try it out yourself. You can trust in no one. You can just only ever trust in yourself. That's always an option. Not a good one, but it's an option. Instead, I would invite you today to humble yourself, to come to God for the power that you need for life today. Because he's the same God who rose Jesus from the grave. So their first message was, Jesus is alive. But the second message, this is the one that grabbed me, especially in our series on the words of Jesus. Because he say this, listen, don't you remember what he said? Don't you remember that while he was alive, before all this happened, he told you some things and they say what he told them. The son of man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Well, that sounds exactly like what happened, doesn't it? The book of Luke, as Luke writes this, Dr. Luke writes this, actually presents several times in this book, three times to be specific, where Jesus calls his death and resurrection. In Luke 9, we see two accounts of it where he's trying to explain it to him. And the Bible kind of says, you know, for lack of a better interpretation, they looked at him like he was crazy. Like, what? And actually, if you read the different accounts in Luke, one of them talks about how the chief priests and the scribes and the Pharisees will put him to death. And another one talks about how the Gentiles will put him to death. And so you would be like, well, see, he doesn't even remember his own lie. Except that's exactly what happened. See? So Jesus knew the details before they happened, and he told his disciples about it. Jesus said that he would die and rise again. I think it's really appropriate to see that they say to the people, Don't you remember his words? Don't you remember what he said to you? Remember what Jesus said about this, that he knew what was coming. So two things before we close, two things I want to share with you. First is this. What does that mean for us that they said remember his words? First of all, sometimes the greatest struggle that you and I have in our lives is simply remembering what we already know. Many of us wear ourselves out pushing against life in some way, shape, or form, and we already know the right answer. We've just pushed it off to the side. We've just decided we, didn't, we needed something new or something fresh or whatever. Many times the most powerful truths in your lives are truths you learned when you were little, truths that are simple, truths that are easy to remember. I know it's new and fresh is exciting, but the most life-giving truths are the ones that probably you already know. That's why 2,000 years later, we still celebrate Easter morning together and Good Friday and Christmas because these, even though they're not new stories, they're powerful, life-giving stories that remind us what God did in this world for our salvation. And so you can always be drawn to the latest trend or the newest idea. But listen, don't miss the simple truth you already know. What a tragedy to set aside truth you already know. What kind of truths might you already know? There are probably some of you here that already know that one of the most healthy things you can do for your life, for your family, for your soul is to be in church every Sunday. But you've just kind of forgotten it. 
And you've got excuses, and I'm not saying those excuses are invalid. I, I got you. But it doesn't change the truth that when you don't come and worship, you don't come and learn, you don't join in as a part of the family, that you are diminished in your soul. That you don't have the energy, you don't have the life, you don't have the hope and the faith, faith to face the things that are coming during the week. And you already know that. Sometimes we're just reminding you of what you already know. And you need to start acting on what you already know. Because if you don't, you're going to be kicking yourself later going, why didn't I do that? I knew that. I should have just done what I already knew. So some of you know, Jesus came to die for you. Jesus rose again so you could be saved. And you just need to remember it. You just need to embrace it. You just need to live by faith. You can live eternally sure that you will be in heaven with the Lord forever. Even though you know without a doubt that you deserve hell and separation from God, you can know that you have been redeemed. And you know that. You know that this life is a moment and a flash and a vapor and it's going. And you know that. And that clarifies every single day for you about what matters and what doesn't, about what's worth getting worked up over and what isn't. You already know it. So remember it. God sends the angel here to remind them of stuff they already know. I'm thankful Easter morning is an invitation to remember. But second, and this thing, this blows my mind. Jesus knew it was coming. Think about the implications of that. Years before he died, he knew exactly what was coming. And he said, that's what I'm going to do. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us it wasn't just a couple years. It was... Forever. Before the foundation of the world, he knew what was coming. And he walked forward to his death for you and for me. He walked forward because he said, this is what's happening. And then it came to pass. He knew before it happened, the details of the event. It means Jesus was not just an ordinary person. He was God himself. It means that he knew exactly how he would die and exactly what it would do for you and I. We don't follow someone who has some good ideas about making your life better, helping you out to be a better person. We don't follow someone who's like, he's going to fix your life and he's going to make you happy. We don't follow someone who just has some good advice for you, who was a good teacher, a good prophet, a good person. We follow the King of kings and the Lord of lords, God Almighty in human flesh, who knew he was going to die and went and died anyway because he knew he would rise again and he knew through that whole process it would provide life for you and I. That's who we follow. And that's what that means. Remember his words. He knows what's coming. So it means he's the Son of God, but it also means this. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't like, whoops, I thought that, what happened here? That all happened. You know that feeling where I was like, I had such great plans and then it all fell apart. You you know that feeling, right? Like I thought I knew what was coming. I thought I knew what to expect. I planned so well. I've got everything and then it all, what happened? That's not what the crucifixion was. God was not up in heaven wringing his hands going, this is, wait, this is not the plan. This was exactly the plan. And it was the plan because it has a purpose And part of that purpose is that today, for you, you've been offered life. You've been offered purpose. Maybe you've received this. Have you lived it? The purpose of Easter, the purpose of the resurrection is to live 
the resurrection. To live made new. To live in the power of God. To live for eternity. Not to live all just like anybody else. If your life this week would look no different if all of this was fake, if you found out today that this whole thing was made up, would anything in your life change? Or are you living like it's all made up anyway? Does your life, day by day, minute by minute, reflect the truth that there's a forever, that there's a Lord, that there's accountability, that one day I'll stand before Him and answer for my life? Does your life reflect the power of the resurrection? That the impossible is possible? That God is your hope? That God is your strength? That God is your healing? Does it reflect that day by day? But maybe today you've never accepted that for you. Maybe you've never personally been invited in or, or stepped in to the redemption story that we saw in that little video. I want to invite you today to experience it. I want you to open your heart and receive it today. And so we're going to close just with a word of prayer here in just a second. And I'm going to give you a chance to pray as we get a little bit of music just played and and it's going to be a quiet moment. And then we're going to close and we're going to be on our way for Easter today. But I want to give you a chance to step into this. I want you to think about whether or not you can respond to the Easter story. Maybe today for the first time in a long time, or maybe it's just because life has been hard, you've been reminded that there's a purpose in this whole thing. That it's not just an exciting story, it's a story that God did on purpose that it would make a real change in your life and in my life, in our hearts, from the inside out. Today, I want to tell you, if you don't know where you stand with God, listen, there's a judgment coming. One day you will stand before God Almighty and you will answer for your life. And everybody's answer by default is guilty. Jesus came so your answer could be redeemed, saved, rescued, life. There's no more important matter you'll ever face than where you'll spend eternity. I'm convinced if you get that one wrong, Every other good decision doesn't matter a bit. And if you get that one right, every other decision, not really a big deal anyway, is it? It's all about where I will spend life after this life. Maybe you're not settled on that today. And in a moment, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to give you a chance to pray. I want you to know this. God hears your heart. You don't even have to say words out loud. You can simply have a conversation with him and receive the salvation he paid for by saying, forgive me. Save me. Make me your child today. So if you want to pray that prayer, we're going to pray, and then I'm going to give you a chance to say that. And if after the service you want to pray with someone, come up. I'll, I'll put you with somebody, and we'll pray with you and make sure that we've settled you being a part of the story of redemption and Easter. Maybe when we pray, you've already settled that, but maybe the message of Easter Day reminds you of someone you know who needs salvation. They need to be a part of the story. And so when we pray, maybe you pray for them. You say, God, I'm so thankful you've saved me, but this one, they need you. And maybe today, as we've talked about the words of Jesus reminding them of what they already knew, maybe there's some things that you've been reminded of. The Spirit is, hey, remember this? And you need to say yes. Yes, I remember that. And I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to start living that.